This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Show, I'm not Mark Bader. Mark is out again today. But I am tasked with our guest today, and I'm excited about who we have on. Jonathan Koch, President and Chief Creative Officer at Asylum Entertainment. If you've watched 30 for 30, which almost everyone has, he's produced several of those shows. He's produced the Kennedys, Ring of Fire, Happy Valley documentary. Most importantly, he was a wrestler. Jonathan, how are you? I'm good, Kyle. Good to see you. Good to have you on. Hey, I, I see the black eye there. You getting that from uh, Kale Sanderson, Jordan Burroughs? How'd that happen? I wish it was something, you know, that could give me more street cred, but I actually was trying to hit a cement mixer on my dog, who's a good 120 pounds, and uh, she squirmed out and gave me a shot to the head um, with her very flat, very hard head. So um, it's not the first time. It's not the last. I, I kind of love it. She loves to... Uh, Russell, and she's the only one that will still do that with me. So. And you're a diehard Penn State fan, right? I am, yeah. I uh, grew up in State College, and uh, I used to, they used to throw me out on the mat when I was like five years old before the Penn State wrestling matches, and I'd wrestle with the Nittany Lion. He'd say, you know, grab my tail and, you know, make a move, and then he'd do a flip and land on his back, and everybody would cheer, and uh, that's kind of how I got started wrestling, actually. You produced the very first 30 for 30. I don't know in sequence, sequence if it was the first, but it's the first one on there on Wayne Gretzky. Compare Wayne Gretzky to Kale Sanderson. Do you see any similarities there? I mean, greatness always has similarities. You know, it's just the, it's the confluence of incredible God-given talent and working harder than anybody. I, I think that's how you become, you know, one of those guys. I mean, being around Gretzky, I actually had an opportunity to play Wayne Gretzky in uh, tennis um, in a tournament. I randomly drew him while we were producing the show um, at his club. And, uh, you know, so I was just asking him, hey, you get to play tennis much? I was just making small talk. You know, I didn't, I, I didn't think it was going to be this competition. And he kind of gave me this smile, like, don't try it. I've seen everything. This is going to be a war get ready for you know world-class athlete tennis so it, it was quite an event i enjoyed it he had not only all of his people cheering for him but all of my people were cheering for him which you know wasn't great but it was a lot of fun he's uh you know i think all these guys like i i think if you have great talent but you're not you don't put in the work um you know you sacrifice a lot you get so far by talent but those two remind me of each other because of the work that goes along with the talent. Is there something different when it comes to one-on-one combat sports, whether it's MMA, boxing, wrestling, do you see a little bit different side than, uh, than other sports? Definitely. I mean, I, I mean, I think guys, you know, if you're talking about leaders in team sports, they have a lot of the same mentality. They could be successful at just about anything that they did, but I think what's incredible, as you know, Kyle, we spoke about this before, what I think is incredible about wrestling is whether you lifted the trophy or you didn't across the board, you're better off for having been a wrestler. And uh, I don't know if that's true of all those other sports exactly the same way. 
Um, I think that all of the things that I've fought through, all the things I've accomplished for whatever that's worth, like they all came from, you know, the will that you build being a wrestler, especially when you're not good. Like I wasn't, you know, not very good at it. So, um, you know, you, you learn to outwork everybody and to uh, develop your will. And um, I think that's been super helpful in my business life um, and in my survival, really. When and how did you find wrestling in your life? Like I said, I was, you know, when you're, when you grew up in Pennsylvania, you know, they throw you out on the mat as soon as you're able to walk. And usually both guys are crying and it's, you know, it, the whole thing, it's just a big, I don't know. It's just, a, it, it, it's just such a, like a shock to your system to go out there and, you know, do that. And then you realize that even though you compete against these people for the entirety of your wrestling career and your life, and there's fearsome rivalries and all that, that also you would do anything for them. You would do anything for anybody in the wrestling community. And I got hooked right away. Um, I think the first thing that got me going was there was sort of a knuckle dragging mouth breathing coach that I had at the beginning. And in our first tournament in elementary school, he brought us all together and explained the idea of chosen suffering to us. And that really spoke to me, you know, like I, I like the idea that I don't have to do a mile that I get to do a mile and I don't have to do crawls. I get to do crawls. And I've always really, you know, associated with that. And, um, and I teach it and I coach it. And, you know, my team at the, uh, at asylum looks at me, you know, cross-eyed when I tell them that that's just cause they've never been through it, but there's a certain benefit to a, a willingness to, you know, be uncomfortable that we've, um, developed as wrestlers. And, uh, that's what really got me hooked more than anything. Did you appreciate the discomfort as you were going through it? So much, so much. I, I, I know some people don't, you know, maybe they have to look back and think about it. But again, I was very average as a competitive wrestler. I wrestled, you know, from the time I was five until my second year in college, but I only started one year in varsity. So the rest of it was just sheer learning, pain, growth, you know, all, all the things, you know, being there for my teammates who needed uh, me as a workout dummy for <laughs> most of the time, but, um, I, I just fell in love with it. Like I, I couldn't get enough of it. I still can't, I think it's the greatest sport and the, and it isn't just because I participated in it. I've been around a lot of athletes in my life and inevitably, um, a lot of them that are doing great in other sports have wrestling somewhere in their background. I don't, I think it's not a big surprise to me when I, run up across somebody, um, whether they're interviewing for a job or whether I'm just uh, watching them succeed in other things that wrestling's been a moment in their life, if nothing more. So it sounds like there's more benefit from wrestling if you're average or below average than if you're really good. I mean, I think so. Probably a lot of people, you know, I think people get a benefit whether you're great or you're not. But I think for those of us that, you know, we're never going to be not state champions, national champions, world champions. You know, I think the benefit of getting in there and going back day after day and getting better and trying harder and understanding, at least for me, that I was willing to do some things when nobody, you know, was around 
that prepared me for matches. And I beat a number of guys that were way better than I am. And I think that's lasted my whole life in business and, and everything I've done. I, I'm never worried that somebody's going to outwork me. And, you know, if they're more talented than me, that just matters only so much. You know, the, I, I, you know, I got to that age of around 28 where it got weird to call my friends and go, dude, do you want to wrestle? So I took up tennis and um, I, pl- I always play tennis like a wrestler and I got really successful really fast, not because I was better than the people who had perfect strokes, but because I would never give up on a ball. I would never give up on a point or a partner or a match. And, you know, and I, I think that's a mentality that we as wrestlers develop that, you know, uh, is unique. It just pays off and pays off and pays off forever. And if anybody really, I mean, I'm a father uh, to a 23 year old daughter who is a division one college water polo player, which is in the girls sport, at least it's like wrestling, you know, underwater. And um, just the mentality that I was able to transfer to her just made her incredibly strong willed and tough and resilient. And she would never back down. And um, again, like I, I feel like that all comes from wrestling, but also being around wrestlers, you know. When you think back on the impact of your coach or coaches, what uh, what kind of lessons did they impart into you besides just the, the wrestling lessons that you get naturally? What kind of lessons did they give you? Oh, so many. Um, my high school coach, whose name was uh, Coach Rocky, he he was just incredibly insightful in a way that was just very natural and normal. Like I, you know, as you, when you get ready to go through the tunnel of wrestlers to go on to the mat, you know, a lot of coaches have different approaches when you're getting ready to go on to, onto the mat. But I've always felt like the best coaches understood innately how to get the best out of each individual wrestler rather than, trying to treat everybody exactly the same. And I, you know, I'm sure I made coach Rocky crazy the way I wrestled sometimes, you know, because again, it was all just effort. But I remember once uh, getting ready to go onto the mat for just the most important, you know, high school match that you can be in, in the state of Pennsylvania, we were really good. They were really good. The, the, the entire meet was close and every time somebody would get ready to go onto the mat, Coach Rocky would come up and smack him on the headgear, which I've seen a million coaches do. But I didn't like it. I didn't really want it. And But I would never say anything. Like, I'm, you know, please coach me however you feel like you'll get the best out of me. And I remember getting ready for this biggest match. And I stood there and I was kind of cringing, waiting for him to smash me on the headgear. And he put his hands up and he grabbed my headgear and he said, don't let me down. That's all he said. Don't let me down. And I swear my hair caught on fire. Like that was such a unique moment because I think that I understood that he knew who I was and he knew how to get the best out of me. And I've used that a million times in my life, not just as a story, but by example of trying to really understand how to unlock the individuals, whether they worked for me or however um, I spend time with them, you know, that I had to figure out how to get the best out of them, not just do what I thought 
I should do with everybody. And and Coach Rocky taught me that, and it's paid off for me for 40 years. You've gotten the best out of yourself, but you had to take a risk. You took $200 and moved to California. What possessed yeah. you to do that? You know, I ran into somebody when I, I went to Shippensburg University in Pennsylvania, and I ran into a, a unique human being um, there who was a professor of mine. And she basically told me, you know, your brain needs a challenge. Like you can't stay here. You have to go out and test yourself against people who are going to try as hard as you do and who are very talented and like go somewhere and then learn and then come back to Pennsylvania and you'll have a different perspective. So um, $200 was all I could find, couch cushions and the like. And uh, so I moved out here and um, I just never ended up going back to Pennsylvania, although I still consider myself a Pennsylvanian more than a Californian. Um, I just felt like the opportunity to compete and to see what I could make of myself, right? Like the whole idea with wrestling, of course, is wrestle guys better than you. That's how you get better. And I think the concept and idea was, is that if I came out here, I'd be competing against people who, from all over the world, who thought that they were the best at whatever that came here to compete in an arena that's not very forgiving. And uh, yeah, so I decided to make a go of it. Do you remember that first week, what that was like? Yeah, it was brutal. Um, I, I was, I slept on a park bench my second day here because the person I was supposed to sleep on their couch, you know, it, it just didn't go down that way. And I didn't have anywhere to stay. And I slept in a park bench in Thousand Oaks, California, and I got kicked out. You know, they, in the middle of the night, the police came and thought I was loitering or I probably was, uh, but um yeah, I mean, I worked at the Red Robin as the Red Robin. Um, so here I, you know, I was 235 pounds, like, you know, my neck. And I'm in the Red Robin suit, you know, like, I can't believe this is the most humble beginning ever. But even at the time, my perspective was that I would look back and think it was good. You know, it was positive. Like, it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy for... It's never been easy, but the road was brutal and tough. And it started off in a way that made me appreciate it. And I could see it. I could see the journey. I could see, you know, I'm not goal oriented. You know, you and I have spoken about that before. I don't, I, I don't have goals. I'm purpose oriented. I just do the best I can at everything that I do every single time I do it. Um, and so I never really had the perspective that sleeping on a park bench or working at the Red Robin was part of some ascent to a mountaintop. I just took it day by day. And uh, it was much easier, you know, to traverse the things that were difficult if you just do it a little bit at a time, right? A journey of a thousand miles, as they say. So yeah, that was, uh, yeah, the first week was really tough. I mean, there were many times, Kyle, that I just, I didn't know if I'd be able to stay here. So take sleeping on a park bench to becoming the president of asylum. How does that happen? Like what, what goes into that? Of course, it's not goal oriented, but how do you make that ascent up to becoming a, a position that uh, is well-respected? Yeah. One, one step at a time. I mean, I, I, I had many different careers 
you know, in the entertainment industry when I got started. Once I got my foot in the door, I knew like this is an incredible place to be. It's endless. There is no, you know, there's nothing that stops you except for your own willingness to work hard in this business. And like most businesses, um, I won six um, local star search competitions doing stand-up comedy in Pennsylvania. Um, so I thought like, Oh, I'll come out here and I'll, you know, I'll do that. And then I went one time and I saw what it really meant for people who were actually funny here and i was like i this isn't what i really want to do i really want to control my own destiny i don't love being judged isn't that one of like the great thing about wrestling is is that there's no judgment by a coach whether you're good enough or not like go to wrestle offs and prove whether you're good enough to start or not and if you're not work harder and do it again and so i think that the parts of working as a, an actor, which I did for a little while. And, you know, in these things where you're constantly being judged and evaluated by other people, not for your merits or what you actually are, but what they perceive of you was just not what I wanted. I wanted to control my own destiny. So um, I had the great opportunity to become an agent um, for kids and uh, build a pretty big business. Um, and, uh, and then I transitioned from there to being a producer. And I did that for a little while, you know, as an independent. And then I met my business partner, Steve. Um, and uh, we just immediately realized, like, he did a lot of things that I didn't do well. I did a lot of things that he didn't do well. And, you know, great partnership was born. He's, you know, a little more hardcore than I am. I'm a little bit more of a peacemaker than he is. You know, but he's traditionally trained USC film school, comes from, you know, royalty here in the entertainment, you know, world. I crawled out from under a rock at Shippensburg University, but, you know, the partnership was great. And, you know, we uh, have had a friendship and a partnership that's gone for quite a long time. And we were in at the beginning of, you know, unscripted television, you know, reality television. We were at the very, very beginning of it. So it was kind of the wild, wild west. And as long as you could be fearless and walk into a room, which again, when you walk down to a mat by yourself in front of a bunch of people with what you perceive to be a lot on the line personally and from a team perspective, like walking into a room and facing rejection was easy for me. I think... You know, I know that there's a saying out there. I don't know what it exactly is, but once you've wrestled, everything else is easy. It's not easy, but it makes sense. The perspective that you have, you know, having gone through all of those things um, as a wrestler, you know, putting yourself through that um, really paid off in a lot of rooms. And I really, you know, rejection, I found enjoyable in a way. Like I knew it was just part of the process. And um, I think my willingness to get rejected nine times and still go back and get the sale on the 10th time, you know, put me in a good position as a, as a producer. So that's what I did. In 2015, your life would alter and wrestling was part of how you got through that difficult time. Tell us what happened and how wrestling influenced you and how you were able to overcome that adversity with wrestling. 
Yeah, I was uh, 49 years old, you know, just like most of us, you know, I maintained a high level of health and fitness my whole life. And uh, I just wasn't feeling well one day. Um, I was in uh, Washington, D.C. at a television producer's conference there, and I couldn't see very well. I started seeing, I was pitching Discovery Channel, and I started seeing three of the same executives sitting in front of me. Uh, so I pitched the one in the middle because I figured that was her. But um, after that meeting was over, I realized I was in big trouble. Um, I wandered outside, found a cab, said, please take me to the nearest hospital. And within 21 or 22 hours, um, I was told that I was going to die that night and uh, that I should get in contact with my family. Um, she specifically the doctor who ended up saving my life. Um, we had a very like rough beginning. I did, I was suffer. I was septic. I, I just had an upper respiratory, you know, infection, a lot like what people are dealing with with COVID now. Um, but I had no idea what was going on. I'd never really been sick before, and um, we had a you know pretty tough time. And she was pretty aggressive because I don't think I was behaving myself. And um, so she said, you know, you're probably going to die tonight. You need to get in touch with your daughter. Um, and when she said that, I said, no, I, I, I'm not going to call my daughter and tell her that I'm going to die tonight. I'm just not going to die tonight. So I think a lot of that came from tapping into a reservoir of you know, being able to fight through anything that we all learned in wrestling. So um, over, you know, the next 24, 48 hours, um, I could no longer support my own life. I couldn't breathe. So they put me into a coma, which I was in for about three weeks. And uh, when I woke up, um, my hands and feet were black on the way to being black and dying. Um, and, uh, so, you know, I woke up and they explained to me that my body, you know, had tried to save my, my brain and my heart and my life by killing off my extremities, much like, you know, frostbite. So, um, that was the beginning of a story that has played itself out, you know, over our, the last seven years, um, which ended up in, uh, amputation of uh, half of each one of the fingers on my right hand. I lost my whole left hand. I lost my right leg below the knee and all the toes on my left foot. Um, and uh, as you can see, I do have a left hand, but it's not mine. I'm the 81st hand transplant in the world. Um, first one of its kind. So I'm wearing another person's hand. Um, which I'm grateful for. And certainly um, through the entire process, they gave me very less than 10% chance to live. And uh, over the next couple of months, you know, with, I was very, I was blessed with a very positive attitude and a very good spirit and some really great people around me. And we all just went to war, try to figure out how to not just survive, but you know, how to fight, how to fight back, how to stand up, how to, you know, regain a life that was meaningful and purposeful. And, uh, you know, and I did, um, you asked me the question about wrestling because I think I've told you before that 
as I was getting ready to leave George Washington University Hospital to go to the Mayo Clinic, the woman who saved my life, um, everybody came in to say goodbye to me. I built this incredible team around me, doctors and nurses and incredible medical personnel, my friends, like everybody just, we all just rallied together. It wasn't just about me. It was about all of us. And um, when it was time to leave, everybody came to say goodbye. And, um, you know, she wasn't there. And I was actually a little nervous to see her. So I was glad she wasn't there because I think I said some really horrible things to her um, just because my brain wasn't working right. And uh, right as everybody was getting ready to say goodbye, sort of uh, the room parted. And here, even though I thought she was this big monster with like sharp teeth and this little powerful blonde five foot two you know doctor walks into the room and as soon as she did everybody else left and I thought I was in trouble (laughs) so I was kind of like feeling nervous but I had a tracheotomy I couldn't say very much I was you know very sick I chemo I couldn't I didn't have any hair really like I you know everything had sort of come apart and I was just you know barely clinging to life but she came in and when she turned towards me, she had tears rolling down her face. And I was like, I didn't even think she had tears. Like that was just not, I just didn't understand at all what she was going through, but she was crying and she said, you know, you changed everything that I think about being a doctor. You changed how I think I should ask my patients to fight. Like you're the sickest person who will ever leave this hospital. And I just, you know, don't know how you did it. And at this point, I was crying, too, because I couldn't talk. And it was extremely, you know, as you can imagine, it was a very emotional connection between two people who had really been through a war together. And, um, you know, she said, I just don't know how you did it. And I, because I couldn't breathe very well, I just didn't have very many words. So I said the only thing that I knew was true and the only thing that came to my mind, which was, I'm a wrestler. And, you know, to me, that encapsulated everything. Like, that is why I'm alive today. You know, wrestling saved my life. It made my life in one way. But in this moment, you know, it also saved my life. When you have that moment where you're told you're going to die and you don't, how does life change after that moment? Well, for me, I, you know, I think perspective is the, you know, is the main thing. But for me, I've always lived my life the same way you do, the same way most of us do, right? Like we don't leave wrestling behind just when we put our shoes on the mat. Like we carry with us, you know, that the great quote, I think uh, Vince Lombardi's quote, you know, that the mark of a champion is what you do when nobody's watching. So, you know, I have always pushed myself. I have always felt as though doing the bare minimum, especially when you have, you know, moderate to medium talent, like doing anything less than pushing yourself to the brink, you know, the, to continually find the difference between what you're able to do and what you're capable of doing. Um, you know, that's the space that I live in and I always have every day. I always want to know what I'm capable of. I really don't care what I'm able to do. I want to know what I'm capable of. So in a way, 
you know, having resistance, you know, gives us the opportunity to fight more, right? Like you, it's impossible to fight against nothing. So, you know, whether it's an event that's coming up or whether, you know, whatever the, the thing is that you look forward to so that you can push yourself, like this was eternal uh, resistance. This was like the resistance I was going to get to fight for the rest of my life. And um, I don't know how much time we have, but I, you know, when I was in my coma, I dealt with some very serious coma terrors, which I didn't know was a thing until I was able to read about that. But most people who are in a coma look like they're peaceful, but it was the worst time of my life. And it doesn't seem like a dream. It seems like a memory the same way this, you know, conversation with you will. And I was just literally being tortured. And, um, you know, at the point where I didn't think I would be able to continue, I remember thinking I had 11 breaths left to take, and that was all that I was going to have in my life. And, uh, I was transported to, this room I describe as a purgatory room, you know, which was just devoid of anything. It was no temperature, no people, no nothing, just a drain in the middle of the floor and a door on the other side. And I started walking towards the door and a voice said, do you want to keep doing what you're doing? And that was an easy answer. No, nobody would want to keep being tortured the way I was being tortured, you know, in this coma. But I think the voice, no matter whether it was the universe, it was my subconscious, it was somebody by my, I don't know. But the voice said, if you do decide to live, it will be the most painful fight of your life every day for the rest of your life. And that I understood and I embraced. And of course I said yes, because that fight, you understand it, I understand it. Most of the people watching understand what it's like to fight against unthinkable odds against opponents you think you can't be like it's that same dynamic so i agreed to it and uh that voice was honest it was true like it's it's a brutal fight every day you know the every the things that i go through are just a reminder to never let my guard down to keep getting better every day and to turn my life into something, you know, where producing television, although I still do some of that, you know, I spend most of my life now trying to um, help other people to understand how to fight. You know, it's one of the things I think about wrestling that we haven't done a great job of, which as wrestlers, we haven't done a great job of translating this mindset to other people in our lives, because it's very hard to explain. So what this, you know, has given me, the reason why I didn't get two hand transplants is, is because immediately when people see my hand, they know I'm not just talking the talk, but that I walk the walk. And it's been, you know, very gratifying and um, satisfying to be able to mean something to other people in their fight by trying to explain a wrestler's mentality, but through something that they can witness and see that they think to themselves, I'm glad that, you know, isn't me. I've had, <laughs> I've had so many people, you know, say to me, if that were me, I would kill myself. 
which I find funny because I don't think they realize that they're telling me that I should probably kill myself. But I think they're trying to say is that they couldn't face it. And the truth is that that's not accurate. They, they could and they would face it if they had to. But for most people, what they, I think they do is they wait a really long time. Like resilience isn't a moment, it's a muscle. You build it over time. You build it doing things that um, are more, you know, in that moment, more manageable. But when you build it over your lifetime, like all of us have, that no matter what happens, wrestlers can face it. And, you know, that's what, it makes me very proud you know, to be a wrestler and to try to find a way to translate the wrestling vernacular to everyday people um, who need inspiration, not from what I went through, but just trying to, as my coach did, find a way to inspire them in their own lives to stand up and fight, right? Like my crowd is not the chicken soup for the soul crowd. Mine is the stand up and fight crowd. And I get involved with as many people as I can um, with a perspective that I gained from going through what I went through, which forced me to get off of the crazy hamster wheel of making money. And this is so important and really, you know, renew my commitment to the idea of just trying to make people's lives better as long as they're willing to try to make them better for themselves as well. Do you ever have just a, a good solid day where there's no pain? No, no. I, I mean, I, you know, it's a baseline thing. Like, you know, we all have pain, right? Like when you've done what we've all done for a long time, like your body hurts. I'm 56, you know, our bodies hurt from what we put ourselves through. This is sort of a different kind of a pain. It's more of a neuropathy pain. And, you know, there are no days promised. What happened to me was, very very unique but it could happen again um so you know i i think there's a purpose in pain right like there's a the fact that we even experience pain is to try to tell us to do something differently right like put your hand on a sofa feel pain you know learn from it and try to do things differently so i you asked me that question in a way that made me think, well, would it be good to have a day without pain? I, I mean, I don't know. I don't judge things by good or bad, but I know that the pain that I feel every day derives me. It makes me feel something. And since I can't do all the things that I used to do, um, you know, the pain reminds me that there's still a lot to be done and that my life has great, you know, purpose. Um, and, uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I oftentimes I'll get a call from, you know, a doctor or somebody who has a soldier or a patient or somebody who needs to have something done to save their lives. And they don't want to, because they've even given up on their life or they're afraid or whatever. And like, you know, I get called in and that's my time to, you know, spend with them and to try to you know, instill some fight in them when they feel like they don't have any left. And without, you know, wrestlers are particularly well-suited to deal with anything that comes up in their life, right? Like my success in business has to do with the fact that people bent to the will of my passion for my projects and the people that I believe in. 
you know, they believed in me because I feel passionately about that. I get that from, you know, the sport that we all love. But since I've gotten hurt, it's become a lot more focused on the idea of trying to find people who feel helpless and hopeless and showing them that, you know, that they often, I think, take the perspective that if I can do this, they can do that. And if that's just the like most remedial basic thing they get out of it, that's great. But there's a lot of, um, there's a much higher learning, you know, that we do that I do with them and they do for me. There are 15 people who never spoke to me directly, but sent me letters saying, you know, I, or emails and, or got in touch with me on social media and said, Hey, I was going to kill myself, you know, but I saw your story on 2020 and I'm not going to. And like, I would go through this a thousand times over for that, for that opportunity. So life is great. I'm, I have a very satisfying, you know, purposeful life. And I am grateful, you know, for the opportunity to see things the way that I do now versus maybe, you know, just buying into a narrative about, that what's the definition of success like to me the definition of the success is the way in which you affect the lives of others that's what i believe in when you've gone into a meeting and you alluded to this earlier but you've just said wrestling gives you an advantage you have an example of how you're able to be in a meeting or a pitch and psychologically you were able to get through a moment because of wrestling yeah, I mean, I have one great moment, which I tell people in the industry and they just don't believe it's true. But I uh, produced um, a mini series called The Secret Life of Marilyn Monroe. And uh, I it was really Marilyn told everybody that her mother was dead throughout her entire career. But it's not true. Her mother lived in an insane asylum and they were very close. And I really wanted Sharon Stone to play Marilyn's mom. But her agent said, you know, she's not going to read it. There's no way. And so I said, listen, her name is, her agent's name was Daisy. I said, Daisy, I'm literally going on a hunger strike until she reads the script. And I did it. And I, it went on days. But, you know, as a wrestler, like, that's nothing. Like, I can do that in my sleep. But meanwhile, she thinks it's like this incredible, you know, thing, which, I, and I get it. And Sharon, did read the script and she didn't do the project. We ended up casting Susan Sarandon instead because Sharon didn't think the part, she thought the part was a little too close to home. But I think just the fact that I was willing to do something so in their minds outrageous that you and I have done many times in our lives, like going without eating is a complete zero. So it was easy. So I think that was just like one example, but I just think also the idea of never relinquishing, never giving up, never retreating. Like if you believe in something and you're willing to stand in front of somebody and fight with everything you have relentlessly, in our business that means something to people because the passion as a producer, the passion you have for your projects often you know, carries the day. And people believe in your passion even more than they believe in your projects. And, um, you know, so I think that has propelled me all along the way, you know, but, you know, of course, I don't talk about being a wrestler in the entertainment industry because, you know, 
uh, that just couldn't be any further from their, you know, mindset. Um, but you do occasionally run into people who recognize each other, like, oh, you're a wrestler, you know. <laughs> so, um, but for most of the time, you know, I think it's literally just the relentlessness of preparation, like not waiting until the moment comes to be ready for it. But, you know, I, I often think that by the moment, when the moment gets here on the mat, you know, or in my business, you know, the, the outcome is pretty much determined by the work that we've already done. We're just there to show the work that we've already done, not there to somehow magically, you know, uh, overcome a lack of preparation. I just, I believe in preparation and I'm always very prepared for my work. And you won't fly first class, is that right? No, I fly first class. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, won't fly, I won't fly private. I don't want to fly private. I, I don't, that doesn't feel good to me. Um, it's no, if anybody flies privately, that's cool. It's just not my thing. I have flown privately, you know, when somebody else needs me to go somewhere and they and they are, I will go with them, but I would never do it on my own. I just feel like it's so detached from my roots, you know, and it's important to me not to buy into all of this and to, you know, wealth or this work or whatever. I still think when it comes right down to it, you know, the success is one moment at a time, you know, it's, it's practice, it's commitment, like all the things you all know about, you know, I'm, I'm preaching to the converted to you, but, um, so I try not to invest myself too heavily in the things that would detach me from, you know, my Pennsylvania roots. Have you got and gotten over to Stanford and, uh, shown those guys a few moves yet? Uh, no, but, you know, I, uh, you know, my friend Robbie, who, uh, Robbie Cole, who is now the head coach of Stanford, who was on my wrestling team. He wrestled 138 to my 185. And suffice it to say, we weren't close in talent, success, or accomplishment on the mat. But um, Robbie is doing an amazing event um, right now. I think that it's scheduled for November 19th for Beat the Streets. And uh, I'm going to go up and speak and um you know attend one of his matches but when he was head coach at cornell um you know he always wanted me to come and you know and i wanted to support him but he gave me a cornell t-shirt and as soon as he wasn't looking i took it off while i was in the stands <laughs> to show my penn state underneath because you know i'm uh penn state all the way but i of course support him well his dad coached at penn state bill cole his dad coached at Penn State and his dad coached me and all of us. And Coach Cole was, uh, his dad, Coach Cole, was just an incredible human being. I mean, I'm sure everybody who loves wrestling knows that, you know, could find out the history if they don't already know it about what he accomplished. But this man was older. Even when we were in high school, he was older and he looked like he could barely walk. When he would come in, he was like, kind of you know he was and he just didn't look and then as soon as he was wrestling with you or showing you a move i mean the knots that he had us tied up in the the absolute just like don't judge a book by its cover you know 
that he taught us and just what an incredible motivational human being he was not by trying just by being himself was remarkable i love you know coach cole and uh of course robbie and i are the closest of friends but i his dad was just a i mean remarkable he, if you haven't had the chance to spend time with guys who wrestled on canvas and hay <laughs> you know it it's everything you know it's everything Bill Cole lived right down the street from me when he was here at Northern Iowa and coaching here. So got a, a great connection there too, but uh, let's, right, yeah. yeah, let's close this out. Just any projects you have going on right now. Can you give us any updates on what you have going on? Um, well, I'm, uh, I'm doing, I can't say anything specific about it, but I'm shooting a CBS um, a special that'll be on this Christmas. That's really awesome. It has an incredible it's a great project with incredible cast, but it also means a lot, you know, to me. And uh, I'm shooting a documentary about Phil Ivey right now, which I'm enjoying. Um, I don't play poker because I don't like being pushed around and I'll go all in. Even if I dropped one of the cars on the ground, I don't care. I just hate being pushed around. So I don't play a lot of poker. It's dangerous for me, but I really appreciate you know a lot of the documentaries that we do i think the journeys you know sports movies and sports documentaries aren't really about sports they're about the triumph of human spirit right and you know that's what i love those are the projects that i look forward to doing the ones that i've enjoyed doing you know uh, in the past in the 30 for 30 and the documentaries and um so i'm doing some of those and i'm really spending most of my time you know just uh trying to i started a free consulting company so as long as nobody asks to pay me i'll help anybody do anything as long as they're trying to help themselves so that's pretty much how i spend my day this time you know this time around well you've helped us with your story i appreciate you taking time today looking forward to more conversations jonathan but thanks for being on for jonathan koch i'm kyle klingman you have been watching the bader show